charge of the money. Can you imagine? <laughs> Beating us up all the time. But no, it's a passion of shales, there's no doubt. And so thanks for that. And uh, well, hey, if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to and t- our, uh, turn your book on to uh, John 11. And we're going to go to verse 45. <clears throat> and we're going to finish John chapter 11 and start John chapter 12. So let me go ahead and pray for me, and then we'll just get rolling into this. Okay, Father, Jesus, just pray that you would uh, speak through me, Lord, you'd use me. Don't let me be a distraction in any way. Anything that's on our minds, that Lord, you would just clear our minds uh, so we could just be focused on growing out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, we've been in the book of John for a while. What's interesting is you're hitting a point where up to John 11, it's talking about three years. Right, there's three years up to John 11. The back half of John is happening in around a week. So everything's coming to a head very quickly. And so you've seen the build up. The entire theme, the entire theme of the book of John is so that you will believe. John says that all the time. That's the thread that holds the patches of the quilt together. That thread is constantly saying that you'll believe, you'll believe, you'll believe. So before we read these passages, I want us just to put our mind as best we can into the culture, into the day. It's so, um, it's so hard sometimes when you read scripture and your mind doesn't open up with what it really looked like or felt like. Um, you know, Kenneth, you take pictures. Uh, Caleb, you take a lot of pictures. They're, no matter how good you are, actually some of your pictures look better than the scene. I will tell you that. That's, I've seen that. But, but for me, the frustration is when I take a picture... I'm disappointed when I get home. And I look at it. Remember the days of going to Ecker Drugs with your roll of 35 millimeters? Do you remember that? Does anybody else remember that? And you would, the most anticlimactic day of that was getting the film. You rushed it in one hour because you couldn't wait to show your Pulitzer Prize pictures to everybody. And you got the pictures and you looked at them and you were so disappointed. Because it didn't capture the weather, didn't capture the sounds, the sights, it, uh, the sm- it, it didn't capture any of that. So sometimes we're reading through scripture, we're not capturing all the things that are going on. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. This was not a distant death to a family, this is a very close death. This wasn't a clinical death some, that where um, the body is taken here, it's taken here. They would have, and by the way, they still do in Israel, bury the body right away. Or the body's buried immediately, as quick as it can. In this case, the Jews had these tombs. These tombs, the cemeteries were not in the neighborhoods. So when you think about Jesus walking up to Bethany, walks up, you know, Martha runs out, then Mary runs out. and He's not walking necessarily, uh, when they go to the tomb, they're not walking like, oh, here's their, where they live, and here's the tomb. It's a considerable distance. You felt defiled as a Jew if you lived near a cemetery. So the cemeteries are often distance. We go over there and behind the rocks were going to be a family crypt. And in there would be typically six shelves. So there are six, maybe eight shelves. The body was placed in there. And then on the one year anniversary, you would go in. Most of the decay had happened. You would take the bones, the remains put them in a box, and put that on a top shelf. So you could rotate different family members over 100, uh, 100 years or so. You would, you would eventually fill that with your family in small boxes and just move on. Death was something that, through decay, through the, the smell, 
if you'd imagine someone to to order that that stone be rolled away, knowing the stench after four days, this is a fourth day of death, knowing what it represented, the finality that death represented, and to say, Lazarus, come forth. I mean, calling out the name Lazarus to keep a limited response. You know, I mean, the power of Jesus to say, come forth, who knows what will happen. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth. These people see what happened. What's the reaction? We're going to keep, as we see in verse 45, we continue the story. We see exactly what the reaction was. Many of the Jews, therefore, in verse 45, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Let's stop right here for a second and think about this. This is a whole lot different than believed him. Believed in him. There are often times that I will sit with someone in their 80s and I will dig deep into a conversation and find out they never got over the pain of not being believed in. You can see it in somebody who never had a father figure necessarily or somebody didn't have an encouraging mother and somebody who never believed in them. You also see the pain when you have children and the children no longer believe in you. There's, there's that conflict. You can, there can be a belief of you, but believing in something is different. Can you imagine in our life what happens when we begin to believe in Christ? That we believe in him for his greatness. We believe in him for the incredible things that are going to be done. That's a big difference. So verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This, by the way, does not stop in this day and age. 2018, you got the same rats running around in culture. Imagine some of them, wow, we just seen a dead man walk. After four days, incredible, we believe in you. The other crowd, hey, what's our first reaction? Let's go tell on them. Let's go rat them out to the, religious, to the religiosity of the day. Let's go there and tell them everything. This is typical. You see this all the time. Yeah, I, sometimes I'll, I, I'll talk to somebody and I'll say, was that an amazing thing? And did, could you see the life change in that person? And all they have is a takeaway of something negative. I'm like, where, where were you? Like, were you at the same thing? Did you see that? I uh, had a friend who was trying to get a relationship built with his father. I mean, he goes into his late teens. His father abandoned him, gets to a place where he calls his dad. And he says, I, his dad, he and his dad had not talked in years. He said, um, dad, can we go fishing? And he, he said, well, uh, yeah, okay, we're fishing. The whole way home, the dad is cussing, gets out, slams the door because he didn't catch anything. And this young man, grown man, is sitting there choking up, telling me, my dad just, just he was so upset because he didn't catch any fish. He said, all I just want to do is spend time with my dad. The pain of the fact that his dad doesn't believe in him. And this trickles down, this is cultural. Now this guy is going to struggle when he sees one day, how can I, am I going to be a bad father? I mean, this goes on and on. And so you have these people who, they run away and they rat out, who Jesus is. Oh, you won't believe, by the way, somebody illegally brought a man out of the grave and he's alive. I mean, the absurdity, but this happens. Verse 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? 
for this man performs many signs. Okay, what is this council? What is this chief priest? This was made up, uh, this was a council made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. The Sadducees were political. They were, they viewed themselves as very liberal. They did not view uh, a spiritual realm as being a possibility. No angels, no demons, no resurrection. Pharisees, ultra conservative. So much so that they viewed, if you had, if you, oral tradition was as powerful as the gospel. They made up rules as they went along. They hated each other. And they were brought together for one reason. Their hatred of who? Jesus. And so they, 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 they can't stand them, so they brought together. You see this all the time, even now. You see the Sunnis and the Shiites, what do they do? They get together because they don't like American presence. You look at Muslims, uh, Sikhs, and Hindus in India who were brought together under 300 years of colonialism under England, and the moment England left, broke out into civil war. You look at... Uh, Serbs and Croatia under the former Yugoslavia who at the first moment could arm themselves and go after each other went after but when they have a common enemy they're united we as believers have a lot of common enemies we do there's a lot of common enemies that are constantly at work in this place they all got together and they said this they said what are we to do the reason I highlighted this not for the theological breakdown of the Hebrew meaning or, or Greek meaning of this it's it's for this reason that is a mistake that we as a church make as a whole. Not just, I'm not talking, I'm not doggone in Creekside. I'm saying we as a church culture, we make. So I, I opened this book up one time called Inside the Third Reich. It was written by this uh, uh, Albert Speer. And the first thing he said was, anybody ever involved in National Socialism should be hanged immediately, starting with me. Because he was involved. Let me tell you, anytime I ever bring out a sin of the church to say, you know, the church shouldn't be, let me tell you, I made every mistake I'm preaching about. What I mean by what are we to do is the church culture so many times says, as we plan things, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? As opposed to being who we are and who you are. I remember in my slow demise, in my mind of ministry, in my heart for being crushed in a passion of ministry, how a classic example of this would be, I would have a function at my house, 80 or 90 college kids come over, I pull my two interns over, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them, I'm saying, well, where, where, you didn't bring the cups, and you didn't bring the ice, and you didn't bring, and I'm ripping them to shreds, like, what are you thinking? Like, you know, like, you know, keep in mind, I have... 80 or 90 answered prayers. College students praying about their friends. Grandparents praying about their grandkids. Parents praying about their kids. That they'll go to a church function. They're in my house in a great environment for people to be loved on. And what am I? I'm worried about red solo cups. That's me. I've been there. So it, I, I have, I, my measure of success was this. It was born out of this. Goodness. I wanted you to have the very best. I wanted anybody in that house to be understood that they were appreciated. I would preach this under the realm and the guise of hospitality. Jesus commanded that we're hospitable. Don't you get it? Slap my interns and send them on their way. This is what we're about. What are we to do? No, I missed it. So much so, I failed to see who people were to the point I failed to see who I was. And it's a dangerous spot. So oftentimes we begin a culture that translates into our own lives. What do we do? 
was a church. What do we do? It's who we are. And so you, you look at verse 48, they go on to say um, in this council, if we let them go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Did you catch that? They use the same terminology. They will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Okay, this is fascinating to me, that um, you have a people who, they are more concerned with their comfort they have, keep in mind, this religious council has clout. The Romans have allowed the religious to, to run this particular area. Roman, Roman um, archives would indicate, I mean, the, the things they called, the silliness that they called these Jews, if the Jews only knew how they were being talked about in Rome. Rome was like, well, just let them have the, 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 the fairy tale stuff. Let them have it. Give the Jews their titles. Let them have a little control. And so they have this control. And they say, you know, any, if, if Jesus keeps raising people from the dead, we're going to lose our place. In society, you see that all the time. You see people sell out. They sell out some, for something so cheap. So there's a, I'm not trying to quote every book I've read in my life, but there's a book by Goldhagen on, called Hitler's Willing Executioners. I was always baffled about like how could people send people to their death so much and you know it's such and countless millions of lives. I mean one camp a few hundred thousand people killed. Who, who could do that? And they began interviewing these guards. They were former teachers. They were former butchers, florists, everything. Like, how could you do it? And they talked about, well, the people were no longer human. They were emaciated. They were, they were shaved in their heads. They were just objects. And, but there was another realm in there that really amazed me. There were, the, there were Jewish policemen. They had billy clubs. They had just different armbands on. And they worked for the Germans. And the odd thing is the, the Germans would tell the Jewish policemen inside the camp, round up another wave, round up another wave. Let's keep bringing them in for the, to, and, and gas them. The German, I'm sorry, the Jewish policemen felt more of an allegiance to the Jewish, I mean, to the German captors than they did their Jewish brothers and sisters. Just because they were fed and promised not to be killed if they did their job. A Jew, given an armband and a billy club and a hat, was immediately allied to a Nazi movement rather than his family and his friends because he was given a token of survival. It just sounds crazy. So what you see that blend into churches. All of a sudden we, became, we become so culturally relevant. If we're not careful, we become culturally relevant, everybody around us, that we align ourselves more with everything worldly than we do Christ. And by the way, who's chief sinner? Right here. There's times I just don't feel like telling people I'm a preacher. You know, I just, what do you do? I'm sales, marketing, something, you know. You go to Massage Envy, you know, and uh, there's this thing. You go down there and once a month you get a free massage and you pay a monthly fee and you go down there. I, I have, like, you know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Nothing. I do not want to pay my, I have to pay for an hour counseling session because this person broke up with whoever and, and, and you have to listen to, you know, and I go to weddings all the time and you, you, I just want to just, 
just want to sit. By the way, that's okay. Sometimes our life, our life emulates just nothing different. And so people don't know what we believe in. Oh yeah, we know you believe Jesus, but we live a life that doesn't necessarily say we believe in him. So, verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. He's talking to the council. Verse 50, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Verse 52, and not for the nation only, but also gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Who's Caiaphas? He's the high, high priest. His father-in-law was a high priest. He's uh, well-respected in the religious community. And if you're ever reading through this, and, you, and it's okay, again, to stop and ask questions. Sometimes we, because we have limited knowledge, oh, I don't necessarily know all the biblical languages. We just read through and hope we gather what we can. No, 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 don't worry about it. God makes his word crystal clear. So if you ever have a question, stop and ask. When it says here, he prophesied, well, wait a minute. Uh, it, so if somebody prophesies, that means they have to be a prophet. I thought all the prophets were good guys. I mean, you got to be, you can't prophesy and not be a godly guy. This is a guy in charge of a council who wants to kill Jesus and he just prophesied. How can that be? That's because God can use anyone in anything to speak through. And he does it through a donkey. He does it through this guy. He does, he does it. There are multiple times that you will live life and some incredible truth will just spew out of somebody. Like, Wow, do you even know what you said? This is a, cl- a, a, a point where well, he's prophesying what's going to happen. God is allowing him to say these things. But see, Jesus is going to change. Now he's going to change his public style of ministry. So in Matthew, there's a midway point where the priests call out Jesus. They're like, man, you're healing in the name of Beezabul. What you're doing is terrible. And Jesus turns around and condemns a guy to hell right there. And from that moment on, starts speaking in parables. He changed his style. The moment they've issued the the decree, like, let's go out there and let's put him to death, let's kill him, he alters his style of ministry. He no longer goes to all the, um, he's not gathering crowds and teaching more. He goes to his disciples. Remember, he is now on the last pattern of days of his life on this earth that we're going to read in the rest of the book of John. He then goes to his disciples and he hunkers around them, gets around them. He calls his closest believers in. He's around in verse 54. Here it is. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up for the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Verse 56. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? He will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know, so they might arrest him. You know, again, we're in very comfort in America and a lot of freedom. We don't understand how things work. Remember, some of them who saw Lazarus walk ran and told on him. There are now some of them looking for Jesus as a bounty. The Pharisees have said, if you find him, we want him. 
other people are standing in the temple looking around, well, is he going to show up for the temple? Remember, Jesus has, has honored every feast, biblical and non-biblical. He's shown up at every one of them. He's not around. Where is he? Jesus has gone into a bedroom community of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a big city, but this time, packed. And I'll tell you in just a little bit how packed it is. He has gone to this area. Everybody's abuzz about where he is. They can't find out where he is. And then um, Jesus is not running because he's afraid. We have to be crystal clear on this. If you're ever teaching someone this, don't think this is a shy Jesus. Remember, Jesus has the ability to move thousands of people like he did out of the temple. Estimated 10,000 people in that temple when he went over there turning over tables. Oxen, everything, move them out. Temple guards trying to arrest him, no go away. He is not running in fear. He knows he has a limited time and he is spending that quality, amazing time with people he loves. And meanwhile, there's people out there trying to find him to get him arrested. Yeah, there's stories of most of the kidnappings that would happen in Columbia in the 1990s. You know where they started? A taxi cab. Didn't start with kidnappers going on and grabbing somebody. They hailed a taxi. The taxi cab driver knew I could get 50 cents for this toll or I could get $100 by taking them to this place where they kidnap. the kidnappers are. This, is in, this society, I want you to get a picture. They are looking for any possible way to put food on the table. There's a massive movement to find this Jesus. And remember, Jesus had these pockets of alliances and allegiances that were very strong. His allies were there. The people that loved him were there. He was safe there. If anybody walked up to the village, hey, is this Jesus around? I'm not here. See you later. That's a righteous lie, I guess, if you're protecting Jesus, right? I mean, he, and so he knew in this area there'd be no drama. He'd be protected. And so, uh, verse, uh, or chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. By the way, this is really going to get good. Bethany, their bedroom community, Think of the crowd that's gathering here. Think of, think of being in a dinner with any one of these people. By the way, the other synoptic gospels, synoptic seen as, the other gospels, describe where it is. It's the home of a former leper. Even says so-and-so the leper, but he's no longer a leper if he's not a leper, right? It's at home of a leper. John doesn't describe that. Imagine this scene. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 2. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served. There she is, right? Serving again. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was in, put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that may she, she may keep for the day of my burial. For the poor you'll always have with you you did not always have me. Stop for a second and let these verses digest. First of all, 
you are in a room with a former leper. Oh, by the way, Jesus is in this dinner. I mean, that's very evident. The leper is talking at the table. I mean, I can't believe I have fingers now. My face that was uh, contorted and disfigured is now no longer, people don't run around uh, screaming and throwing rocks at me. I'm not, uh, I'm not obliged to live in a, in a leper colony more. I have a new life. Look at what I've been through. Look at this. He's weeping as he's telling Jesus this. This is their ultimate thank you dinner. Oh, and by the way, at the table, Lazarus probably chimes in. Well, well, yeah. I did spend four days. Uh, I saw David and Abraham, and yeah, there's some really cool things. You should have seen what I saw. Can you imagine the interaction with Jesus? Well, how about this? And have a, what a movie. All this is going on. This powerful conversation of weeping, of like, I was once maimed on the outside, now I'm made whole. A man who was dead and woke up to a decaying body. All this is good. Jesus explained to him, you're going to hit a tomb again, but you're not going to miss a beat just like last time. Just imagine that. Martha gets up and she starts serving. And it, because that was her language, Mary grabs this jar, this alabaster jar, 300 denarii, translated today's dollars, Every commentary I've read for the last 25 years says $10,000. Surely it's gone up with inflation and economic, right? But anyway, it's a year's wages. $10,000 conservatively grabs this thing. This stuff, by the way, came from the Himalayas, came from northern India. Talk about a trek to get this stuff down. You would use it your entire life. You would put a little bit in, a, in a, just a tad in, the, in your house and it would smell beautiful. But and there were many different uh, times you would... When you were getting married, you'd wear it, but you would also anoint the body of someone who passed. That was your ultimate respect. She unloosens her hair. Don't do that in that culture. She unloosens it. She goes and she touches his feet. Don't do that in that culture. And she takes this and she just spreads it. I mean, spreads it, does, breaks it open and pours it over and open. And Why? Because she's so caught up in all this greatness of conversation that there is no more death for a believer. There's no more finality that our Jesus is really here and he's sitting in my living room. There is nothing of monetary value to that woman right then. And meanwhile, Judah stands up and he goes, what are you doing? Because his mind is nowhere near the realm of the discussion. And he says, the money that could go through. Of course, he wants the money. The poor. And Jesus says, the poor you will have with you. He is not dissing the poor. This is not him saying, I'm, dis- I'm insensitive to the poor. The poor are always going to be here. Honor me. He is saying this. She gets it because the conversation is so rich with the importance of life. She has tasted what they've tasted without being a leper and without dying. And this is her natural reaction. It's just to break apart everything she has. He said, she gets it. And you will not have this dinner again. She's paying homage to me before my funeral. You know, you talk to people who lose someone and have lost a spouse or lost someone. It, let me tell you when, you, when you begin to see if there's a, oftentimes the hard mourning that comes years down the road is from guilt. You see the guilt just pour out. I should have done this, should have done this. Can you imagine if we all had the opportunity 
before someone's funeral to say to them all the things we wanted to say. Everyone, I feel like, deserves a day as they're alive when everyone gets up here and says, this is what this person means to me. This is what this person has done. This, this is Mary doing what she could with all that she had. There's a plot, by the way, um, that's about to unfold here. Um, Lazarus is about to witness in his next verse. Watch how he witnesses. See if he catches. Verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only account of him, but to also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, if you think, what, what, what did Lazarus say to witness? He didn't. They came to see Lazarus. You know, Acts, when it says, go ye therefore, and it doesn't say, to, go ye therefore and witness in Judea and Samaria. No, it just says, go therefore and be my witnesses. What an opportunity you have when you're at work or you're at school, when you're around in, just your, your circle of influence, where people know that you're the one they go to. You have a natural witness. And where you work, I can, all of us, I mean, unless you're working in a, in a church somewhere, you're probably the minority, right? You as a believer walk into an environment, I guess if you work at Chick-fil-A, that might be different, you know? But I mean, you walk into a place and the majority of people are not believers. Now, they know where you are because of what you believe in. You are a natural witness. That is the most powerful form of witness. That's what led, they just wanted to see who Lazarus was. Now, what's the reaction of the religious council to Lazarus? What are they going to do with him? Verse 10. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus, Lazarus to death as well. Well, aren't these a bunch of nice guys? They're not only after Jesus, but they're after, a, they're after a poor guy that died, dead, shoved in a tomb, wrapped up, pulled out. I can't imagine leaving the incredible beauty of heaven was a real joy to be ushered back. I, I don't know the breath he had. I can't I mean, walking back out of this thing and thinking, man, what did I just leave? This guy is now the target. They're, they're not interested just in killing Jesus. They're going to kill this man. This is how evil this group is. So why would they want to kill Lazarus? Why? Verse 11. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. Not only want this Jesus gone, but when we kill him, they're going to keep believing in him because of this Lazarus. Let's get him out. And now comes, there's a transition here. We're still in chapter 12, right? We're going from verse 11 to 12, but there's a transition. Remember these verses that you put in here? are man-driven. This was not written this way. So, the Bible is being compiled. They put these verse points in here. And it's going to be finished up. This is going to be emphasized a little bit more next week. When Jeff gives this, this is going to be really neat. But this particular case, verse 12, you're going to see the triumphal entry. Here it is. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. When I say Jerusalem is packed... It is packed. Um, there was a Jewish census taken. Josephus um, uh, had chronicled. And they counted over 256,000 
thousand sheep that were slaughtered in one festival in one year. 256,000 sheep brought to Jerusalem. Let's take an average. A sheep represented a family. You had a lot of kids. You had older family living with you. You had people who, whatever. Let's say you had 10 people. Conservatively, you're looking at two and a half million people in the city of Jerusalem. This place is packed. So whenever we think of Jesus walking into Jerusalem, does your mind sometimes take you like it does me? Takes you down like this busy little area and there's probably like, you know, a shopkeeper here and a market here and not No, this place is Manhattan in in its in 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 the feel of this place is packed. All the gates are full. Everybody's moving slowly coming in. And so the people are starting to gather. And they heard Jesus was coming and they start reacting. They start screaming and they do something. Verse 13, look what they do. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, I went my first, when I became a Christian, the first Easter presentation I ever went to at Chamberlain High School at Idlewild. And I remember, as I mean, all this is new to me. I'm watching, like, here it comes. Wow, the, the, the palm branches. And then I'm like, you know, 10 minutes later, they're all yelling, crucify him. I'm like, what kind of a freak crowd is this? You know, one moment they're all like, oh, we're so glad you're here. The next thing you kill him. And it was <clears throat> to remember me going, I don't get it. How does that work? Those palm branches, they're waving. If I could, t- if you could allow me to deviate for this 30 seconds. Don't remember a name. Don't have to write these things down. This was a nationalistic sense. Remember, they wanted a Messiah that was a political leader. They wanted somebody to come in and break Roman law. And so they hear Jesus is coming, and they are caught up at Passover, which is like a, it feels like a national holiday. They grab these palm branches down, and they start waving them like it's a flag. So this started... Go back a hundred something years earlier, there was a Syrian terrorist uh, who took over Jerusalem. He sacked it. He went in there and uh, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He led these other Syrians in it. The name Epiphanes was the name he gave himself, which meant I am God. And the Jews called him uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, which means you're Antigones, the the nut, the wild man, the, the, the insane guy, the lunatic. Well, he was, I mean, executing priests. He was executing um, small children. And Judas Maccabeus and these other, um, his brothers, these Jewish priests, stormed the temple with their swords, killed the Syrians, took back over Jerusalem. And that began the Feast of Dedication, which is known as Hanukkah. And that is this, uh, that fervor of waving the palm branches, that's where that comes from. To ever wonder, where does that come from? It's them waving a flag, saying, our, our next leader, our president, our king is here. They're excited that this guy's coming, but for the wrong reasons. When they're saying, save us, they're not talking about, save my soul. They're talking about, save our land. There's a totally different idea. Verse 14. Well, the people are all waving the, the branches, right? Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. How is it written? Verse 15 tells you. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, 
sitting on a donkey's colt. That's Zechariah 9.9, by the way. Jesus walks up, sees a donkey. The other gospels, the synoptic gospels, tell us that they walked up and said, "Uh, the Lord needs your donkey. And the guy was like, absolutely. I don't know if that was because he was a believer in the Lord and it was like one of the underground members of Jesus or it was just simply that power they had, (laughs) we want your donkey, you know. I don't know, but the guy didn't argue. Here's the donkey, gives him a donkey, and why does he ride in on a donkey? A few reasons. Figuratively, but also more importantly to fulfill a prophecy. Remember, Jesus fulfilled 333 Old Testament prophecies. That's amazing. This is one. Going to ride in on a donkey. All right. I need to fulfill this. And so he, Jesus says, I'm going to sit on a donkey and ride in. And he does. He fulfills this, what was written hundreds and hundreds of years before this prediction. But here's another thing, and this is the figuratively part, but this is important to understand. If you were a, a king who came in peace to a city, you would enter on a donkey. That's what you do. If you came to wage war or conquered a city, you came on a horse. And if any of your minds, those of you who love the book of Revelation, start, it, you start getting chills right now, start, might, might start breaking out ointment jars. If you think about Jesus is coming back, by the way, and he ain't coming on a donkey. Revelation says very clearly he's coming on a horse and he's bringing war with him and judgment with him and that'll happen. I mean, and not to us as believers, but that is, that's a picture, I think, that this Jesus who is getting the message still to this day is delivering it from the seat of a donkey. That's remarkable. That's humility. And I think it's an important thing to remember. Verse 16, as we close out these next um, three or four verses. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Oh, by the way, I love this verse. Not saying make it a life verse. Not saying write it on an index card. But if you've ever been like me who didn't really get it, if people would ask you things, you're like, and you're ashamed to say, I really just don't understand everything that's in the Bible. That's all right. Here is our safety net, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and what had been done to him. That is so true right now, folks. The more you make Jesus glorified in your life, the more things are understood. It just is. How many times in your life have you been wrecked in this fog? That's the best thing I can say. You're just in a fog spiritually. It's like apathy. I don't care. God, it is really, you just don't care. You don't even care to go to God to tell him you're, you're, in, you're in a funk. You're just in a fog. This happens, why? Because you put yourself there? Did God put you there? Or how about this? You just stop seeing the glory in Christ. If there's other things, worries overwhelmed you, anxiety overwhelmed you, dreams overwhelmed you, good things, bad things, all those things overwhelmed you. No. Whenever he's not glorified, we're a mess. And so when you don't know how to fix yourself, when you're like, man, I can't fix this addiction, I can't fix this problem or this temptation, stop trying to glorify yourself. Stop trying to say, I think I can do it. Glorify him. He starts making these things known. That's that's our rest and assurance. Verse 17. The crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead and continued to bear witness. So Lazarus is still bearing witness here. Verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. In the last verse, verse 19. 
So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So what happens is Lazarus comes out and they and they still still they're still looking at Lazarus and going, look at this guy, look at this guy, and he's witnessing by not even saying a word. And the Pharisees are like, the world keeps going after him. Jesus had an incredible link to blue collar, average, hardworking people. The religiosity of the day were outsiders. Most of them, you had some rabbis that were of rural agrarian villages, I'm sure had a level of connectivity with the people. But for the most part, the religious were distant. Jesus went to them and Jesus would go up to them and he would say, man, you know, I, I'm, gonna me- I'm meeting your needs at where you are. The people reacted and they responded in an incredible way. But we think about this. Lazarus is going to go to a tomb twice. Twice. He went once, yanked out. The second time is going to be the real deal. Historical tradition says this. This is not biblical, by the way. So don't write this in your Bible. This is like historic. Whenever we hear historical tradition, it's not in a canonicity of Scripture. We make it very clear. There's two thoughts of what happened to Lazarus. One is that he went to Cyprus. And he went to Cyprus and uh, he died there. And where he was buried, they built a church on his tomb that still stands. That is one view. The other is that he went to France. Uh, um, punished by, um, under the likes of uh, different emperors and, and moved out to France and started a movement there. And was eventually beheaded. We don't know. But in any case, wherever he died, he was given a second chance. Can you imagine knowing that you had escaped death and you had a second chance? Now can you imagine that person is you? You know, you and I are born dead. Dead to spiritual things. It says, in, in Scripture says, you are, you're, you are dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sins. And then Christ comes to save our soul. And we're given a reawakening. We're given a second chance. That is the beauty of Christ. C.S. Lewis said, if you find one word that describes Christianity from all other religions, it would be the word grace. I think if you were to say... you. If you were to ask me, what would, the, what would be the one phrase, I would say, it's a second chance. You know, when uh, you go to the most impactful mission in this town that was ever started to love on mothers who were expecting, who were either thinking about abortion or had abortion, it was started by a woman who had an abortion. Pat, what's her name, Pat uh, Layton. I mean, this woman gets up and shares her story about what, when she had an abortion and what did, and she said, I knew I had a second chance in Christ, and I'm going to turn it all around. And she, most of her staff had been through that. And these people, you walk into the room, and you're just, you're under this great shade of just magnificence and godliness. 
That God takes people like us. Takes a guy like me who's been a mess and gives me a second chance. Takes us to say, I'm not just giving you a way out of feeling guilty. I'm giving you a mission you never thought possible. Because in you, the dead will walk. In you, only people know the only way you could do what you do is because of the greatness of God. That's an amazing, loving God. No one comes in here in Christ defined on what you did or who you were. No one. And we will never, as we can hold it best, define a church on what we will do. But it's all based on who you are in the eyes of Jesus. That in Jerusalem he rode in on a donkey and he could have come in on a horse ushered by legions of who knows how many angels. But he rides in on a donkey in humility to say, I'm here for you. And he gives us in Tunstall Financial Building a message that says, I am here for you. You are no longer cloaked by your mistakes. You are not just given a second chance to survive. You are given a message to preach. Wow. No wonder the woman broke the jar of perfume. No wonder. What a magnificent thought. What a truth. If you've never received that faith, that true life, ask the person that brought you to church. They're as good as a minister to tell you about Christ as us. Ask one of our deacons. Ask one of our pastors. No more, no more living on your first chance. No more. Done. It's over. You know, I, I'm so proud of being around you. I just, this is my last 30 seconds and I'm done. But I get to bring up some really good news in just a second. You're going to get some good news. Weird. Have you ever had a friend you met and you went to high school with and then you have a friend they meet and it's, a, it's something weird? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, this is really strange. These worlds are colliding. That is happening in my lifetimes about 50 times right here in this church. I look around like, oh, memories, 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 life. You know, look around, and you're all coming together. Only God could do what he's done and bring what your first story was, a lot of you. But a lot of you don't know. And when you have these community groups, because there's stories to be told. And there's stories to be written. That's why I encourage you, when you go to an event... Don't do what I did and blow it and worry about those red solo cups and how many, who brought the ice. Look around and think, not what are we at Creekside? Who are the people here? I've always heard my whole life, the church is not the building, it's the church. This is the first time I've ever, ever truly bought into it. And no matter where we go, may we be that church, that this is who Creekside is. Well, we have some good news, and that Jeff... Kerr, one of our faithful leaders that does more work in the background than you can imagine, uh, is going to be sharing with you some, some good stuff coming up.